Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of death and rebirth. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. Death and rebirth. Wow. It's pretty good. Sometimes I'm saying those intros and I'm like, oh, this is not my A game. But yeah, you're right. I think that was a good one. Well done. To be honest, I didn't really uh, think of uh, an intro for this, so I'm just, I'm just going to wing it. So, Paul... The American government has done some pretty crampy things historically, right? <laughs> MK Ultra, remember that? Yeah. Man, anybody that's not aware of MK Ultra, look that up. It'll blow your mind. And we're on a watch list. <laughs> <laughs> the Tuskegee experiments, read oh. about that too. Ugh. Anyway. Awful. So, yeah, I think for most Americans, the first thing that comes to mind when they hear the word Hiroshima, it's probably the fact the United States dropped an atomic bomb there in World War II. And a whole lot of civilians died, and it's one of the most horrific acts, I think, that uh, humans have done to other humans, you know, in one, one act ever. Absolutely. But of course, there's much more to Hiroshima than that. Yeah, if you want to look on the positive side... Hiroshima is gaining a lot of popularity, just this great tourist destination. So people that travel Japan or think about traveling Japan aren't just thinking about that history with the atomic bomb. They're thinking about Hiroshima as a destination, a place they want to go. Yeah, and it's awesome. I've been there a couple times, and I had a lot of fun there. Actually, on my very first trip, I kind of just, on a whim, decided to go down there because I, uh, <clears throat> I spent like a week in Tokyo a week in Kyoto slash Osaka slash Nara. And then I, I think I just like had a day where I wasn't quite sure what to do. And I was like, well, I have the JR pass. I may as well use it. You did a day trip? I did. To Hiroshima? I from, did. From Kyoto or from Tokyo? I was staying in Osaka. Okay, that's a little more reasonable. Yeah. yeah a lot more reasonable. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't take yeah. too long to get down there from Osaka. But, but I really didn't get to see very much. I kind of just went straight down there, went to the Peace Park, and got some Hiroshima-style okonomiyaki. <laughs> I knew you I knew you would. <laughs> and then headed back. But my second time in Hiroshima, I spent a lot more time in the city, and I visited Miyajima for a day, and it's such a cool place. In my expert opinion, Hiroshima is the number three most sought-after destination in Japan, after Tokyo and Kyoto. Hiroshima is above Osaka? I think so. Wait, what, where are you getting this from? You said in your expert opinion. From, from my extensive research on Japan and okay. travel over the years. But you're a big fan of Osaka. I am, but I haven't been to Hiroshima. Hiroshima is definitely the most popular place in Japan that I have not been to. Sure. Okay. That's fair. So should we talk some basics about uh, the city? Yeah. Hiroshima's on Honshu, it the is. largest island in Japan. The big main island, yes. The same southwest region. It's further southwest than Kyoto and Osaka, but not like by a ridiculous amount. Yeah, the Chugoku region, it's called. Yep. Hiroshima City is the capital and largest city of Hiroshima Prefecture. It's got a population of about 1.2 million people. Paul, do you know what the name means? Hiroshima? 
something about uh, Big Island or Long Island. Wide Island. Wide Island, okay. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because it's not actually an island. It's kind of like Rhode Island. I didn't understand that at all until I was watching a video today and they did this really basic map of Hiroshima and the way the river like splits out around it kind of makes like sections of island. Right. It's a delta. Like there are a bunch of little waterways coursing through the city and you yeah, you could say I mean it's kind of surrounded by water, but not the ocean. It's but just surrounded by rivers. Probably doesn't feel like you're on an island when you're in the city. Right. There's just bridges over rivers here and there. There are a bunch of bridges. Yeah. So this is gonna be a wild episode because for parts of this episode it's gonna be like try not to cry. And then for others, we're going to be talking about this awesome travel destination that is Hiroshima. Yeah, I've thought about that too. I mean, if you visit the Peace Park where all of the historical stuff surrounding the bombing are, it's devastating. Like, it's really intense. I'm really interested to hear your personal experience with that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, about halfway through the episode, we'll get... It'll get really dark. It'll get somber. (laughs) Before we move on and talk some history here, Jason, I just want to give a quick reminder about our Patreon goals. Yeah. 25 patrons, and we start doing folklore episodes. Yep. And 50, we deliver that hentai episode. This will be Patreon-exclusive content. Yes. So... If you want to listen to those, become a Patreon member. You can find the link in the show notes. You can find the link on our website, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. And it's, I mean, the lowest level is $2 a month. That's pennies per day. I dropped $2 on the ground, and I think like, "Ah, should I really chase after that? It's kind of windy. I might look like an idiot. Should I just cut my losses? Can you even get... A soft taco at Taco Bell for $2 anymore? I haven't been in a while. I've been wanting to go because it's just been a while, but... Maybe. Anyway, my point is $2 is basically nothing. So I think we're worth at least nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say we're somewhere in the ballpark of nothing. (laughs) Ready for history, Paul? Yeah. The Hiroshima area was originally a little fishing village. In the 12th century, it increased trade with the rest of Japan and became pretty prosperous. In 1589, Hiroshima was chosen as the home of powerful daimyo Mori Terumoto, and he started building a castle there that opened up in 1593, and he moved in. It's a beautiful castle. I mean, the, the one that stands there now is not the same one that he built, but uh, the one that stands there now is, is beautiful. Yeah, I'll it is. say it's one of my favorite castles. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I spent so much time getting great pictures of that castle. Yeah, okay. Right around sunset and after dark, they got the spotlights on it. I know you anyway, got some good ones. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is the history section. You got a lot of good castle pictures, bro. Thank you. At the end of the Sengoku period, Terumoto was on the losing side at the Battle of Sekigahara. Maybe you've heard of that, a very famous battle. 
So Tokugawa Ieyasu, very famous guy, maybe you've heard of him too, he took Hiroshima and put one of his local daimyos in charge. Yep. So after the Meiji Restoration, Hiroshima became a major urban center as the Japanese economy started shifting from rural to primarily urban industries. Yep. In the 1880s, Ujina Harbor was constructed, and that turned Hiroshima into a very important port city. It officially became a city in 1889. One fact I found really interesting, Jason, was that in 1894, Emperor Meiji made his headquarters in Hiroshima during the Sino-Japanese War. Oh. So Hiroshima, even back to then, had this military history. Interesting. And the first talks between Chinese and Japanese representatives to end that war took place in Hiroshima as well. So why was he in Hiroshima? I would assume that he would be in Edo, well, which had just become Tokyo at that point. Because as far as I understood it, Edo was the big cultural economic hub, but it wasn't the military hub. He was almost closer to the action in Hiroshima or where the real military transportation and logistics were happening. And I think that's why they moved their military headquarters there. Okay, cool. It's a fun fact. Yeah. So between that era and World War II, when Japan was trying to take over Asia and all that stuff, through that whole period, Hiroshima was basically a center of military activity and was heavily industrialized, which is probably what made it a favorable target in World War II, right? Yeah. So on August 6th, 1945, most of the city was destroyed when the U.S. Air Force dropped an atomic bomb called Little Boy. At least 70,000 people were killed by the initial blast, less than 10% of whom were in the military. By the end of that year, the total deaths caused by the bomb were between 90 and 140,000. Hiroshima was purposefully left unbombed before this so they could see the destruction of what the bomb would do and kind of as propaganda for the rest of the world to show everybody like this is what one bomb that we have can do. They wanted it unambiguous what was destroyed by the bomb itself. Yeah, I kind of learned a lot about the bombing from this research that I didn't realize. Like, they didn't really know exactly what was going to happen. They didn't know what the effects were going to be. This was kind of their first big experiment of actually bombing people. Yeah. There were scientists that thought the city's going to be a nuclear wasteland for hundreds of years after you do that. But they also didn't really know about the effects of radiation poisoning. Like, in the initial atomic bomb tests, there were cases where like the scientists would go to ground zero just days after the bomb went off and, you know, check things out. And then they ended up getting sick later on and stuff. Like they just didn't know. This was all kind of a big experiment. Yeah. I also didn't realize that during the subsequent U.S. occupation of Japan, they suppressed information about the bombing. A lot of information about the bombing. Yeah, like videos that people had taken of the aftermath in Hiroshima were confiscated. Casualty statistics were suppressed. The U.S. controlled all of the scientific and medical information around the effects of the bomb. 
even to the point that they actually withheld information from Japan that could have helped with the treatment of survivors. Yeah. It's pretty messed up. Yeah. It's really wild that there were firsthand accounts and video footage and studies that were released in America and all over the world. So almost the rest of the world knew way more about what happened than anyone in Japan during that time. Yeah. And throughout all of this, the U.S. is kind of trying to like reshape Japan in its own image. And they're telling them like how important free press is and stuff. It's kind of ironic. Yeah. Also, interesting little fact I came across. Paul, did you know the official flower of Hiroshima is oleander? Yeah, I saw that. You know why? It was the first flower to bloom again after the atomic bombing. Yeah. What a potent symbol nature can be sometimes. Right. Just this, seeing that first thing blooming can just really give spirit and hope in a dark time. Yeah. So after the war, Hiroshima was rebuilt, of course, with help from the national government. And in 1949, they designed Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park, which I mentioned earlier, and we're going to talk a bit more about later. It was built on land donated by the Japanese military, or that was previously owned by them, which I think is a fitting symbolic gesture as well. Yeah, and it's right next to the exact point where the bomb was dropped. So it's kind of a fitting place for it. In this park is the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Museum, which opened in 1955. And of course, Hiroshima Castle, which was nearby, that was destroyed by the bomb, and that was rebuilt in 1958. So because of the bombing, Hiroshima has really become a symbol of the horrors of nuclear warfare and also the wish for world peace. Like You'll see references to that around Hiroshima. The Japanese parliament proclaimed it a city of peace in 1949, And even today, the city's government continues to advocate for the abolition of all nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. On May 27th, 2016, Barack Obama visited Hiroshima. And get this, Paul, this kind of blew me away. He was the first sitting U.S. president to visit Hiroshima since the bombing. That doesn't blow me away. I mean, it seems like just as a gesture, that would have been a nice thing to do, like maybe... Several decades ago? Would have been nice, sure. I don't know. That just seems crazy to me. This year's G7 summit was held in Hiroshima. So Biden was just there. So I guess that makes him the second uh, president. I'm guessing Trump didn't go. Probably not. That's my (laughs) guess. I saw in the Japanese news, they were like timing how long each world leader spent in in the monument there. Huh. And Biden was the shortest, I think. Wow. He spent like 19 minutes, and they're like, oh, this other world leader spent 49 minutes inside. Huh. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about all the awesome stuff there is to see and do in Hiroshima. Yeah. So I'm thinking, we'll say we're starting at Hiroshima Station. Sure. It seems like an appropriate place to start because that's where the Shinkansen arrives. It's probably the way that you're getting there. Makes sense to me. So I think most of the interesting stuff in the city is west of the station. 
But there are a couple things on the east side that I wanted to mention. Okay. So just southeast of the station, like real close by, is Mazda Zoom Zoom Stadium. Ah. I thought this might interest you, Paul. Yeah, I thought it might interest you too. Because Mazda? Yeah, you're a Mazda guy. It's true. I'm a baseball guy. It's home to the Hiroshima Carp. Yeah, they're a big deal. They must be one of the most popular teams in Japan, right? I think so. They've had success, I think, in like the last 10 years, too. Hmm. If you visit Hiroshima or even, I mean, the entire prefecture, you will see carp stuff all over. I walked into ramen places in Onomichi that had like little signed things posted on the wall from carp players. Yeah. I should look into the carp. I need a new team. I need a new NPB team. I was always an Osaka Tigers fan. What's going on with the Tigers lately? I feel like they're a poorly run franchise. Really? They just completely lack success. They're in the second biggest city in the country, and they got the lowest payroll, and they stink, and it seems like they don't even care. So hmm. like, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. That's I want to find bad. a winner. Because none of the local teams win. So I need to find some team (laughs) I can be a part of that wins something. Well, the Carp definitely seem popular. People seem to like them. All right. Uh, So Zoom Zoom Stadium is an outdoor park. It opened in 2009. has a capacity of 32,000 people. I have no frame of reference for if that's a lot for a a stadium. It's a lot. Okay. Most MLB stadiums probably see between 30 and 50,000. Okay. Uh, If you're not familiar with Japanese baseball, check out episode 39. Paul talked about it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) A little too much, maybe. It was a good episode. It was fun, I think. (laughs) I mean, I'm not into baseball, but it was interesting. I learned a lot of fun stuff. And the history, especially about how baseball got to Japan and all that. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And, I mean, we talked about how baseball in Japan is a whole different experience like the the whole crowd is really into it and like they got their chance and their cheers yeah it's great yeah oh so i guess is everybody aware of the mazda zoom zoom advertising campaign that's why it's called the zoom zoom stadiums because mazda had all these commercials like their tagline is zoom zoom if you don't know that lucky you you haven't been bombarded with mazda commercials do they still do that? I mean, they must. This was just built in 2009. I haven't seen TV commercials in years. and it's, I was just going to say the same thing. Like, I don't watch normal TV, Jason. I can't tell you. And it's greatly improved my life. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. So the stadium, like I said, is within walking distance of the station. But if you take a train a little further southeast, they actually have a Mazda museum, too. Yeah. And you might wonder, well, what's with all this Mazda stuff? It's there because the Mazda car company got its start in Hiroshima in 1920. Yes. They make a million cars a year. At that one factory? I think Mazda does. The whole company worldwide. Yeah. Okay. And they're still headquartered in Hiroshima. Yeah. The museum sounds pretty cool. It does. You can learn about the company's history. You can see cars from the past and cars of the future. That's always fun. I've seen other places like that in Japan. Always my favorite part of the auto show. Oh, yeah. Is the future cars. Yeah, those concept cars are fun. They even, you can see an actual assembly line. Like, yeah. in operation. That seems like the most exciting thing to me. Yeah. 
never seen that in person. I've seen it in car commercials <laughs> right. many years ago. I was like, are the commercials real? I need to know. Yeah. And I bet their gift shop is awesome. I'm really curious to see yeah. what they have in there. All this cool Mazda stuff you can find. Yeah. If you want to go there, you'll want to make reservations in advance because they only do guided tours twice a day. The tours last one and a half to two hours. They did just start doing them in English in June yeah. of this year. So yeah. if I end up in Hiroshima again, I will definitely go there. That sounds awesome. Same. So now let's go back to Hiroshima Station and head over to the west side. What do you say? Yeah. So I just, need something relaxing. I got you. I so got you. So just across the river from the station, you'll find Shukayen Garden. This garden is amazing. You know, I've been to a lot of gardens. This garden is awesome. In my top five, probably, in the awesome. country. Yeah. Awesome. I was wondering what you had to say. Because I feel like I'm starting to become a little bit of a garden snob. Like, I've <laughs> been to enough Japanese gardens, and I've been to some great ones. Yeah. So sometimes you go to one that it's like, well, at least they tried, you yeah. know, but it's just like bare bones. No, this one is great. I have so many awesome pictures from yeah, this place. The pictures look great. So Shukayen means shrunken scenery garden because you're going to see representations of all these different types of landscapes. You see mountains and valleys and forests represented in miniature. And this place is just huge. And it's one of those where you walk along and you find yourself in all these different kinds of environments. You know, It has so many different experiences to offer in this one garden. I'm sorry, I'm just going to totally derail you. Yeah. Your pronunciation's so good sometimes. Thank you. Specifically, miniature. Like, I feel like I'd be like, miniature. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the difference between us on some of these words, I think, is stark. It takes conscious effort. I feel like once I'm on my second drink of the night. You're focusing on spitting it out correctly. If I don't focus, it's going to get all jumbled and weird. So I try to like really enunciate to make it clear. That's just how I am all the time. Just all mumbling. Just all loose. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways. Anyways. So yeah, the garden's beautiful. You can get matcha. They have tea houses. I got some matcha there. They have like a, it's kind of by the entrance, this little area where you can get some snacks and stuff. That's always fun. Sounds like the garden's centered around a pond. And there's a big path that loops all the way around it, so you get all the different views. Right, and there's a bridge going across the pond. Oh, gotta have the bridge. All these little buildings along the edge of the pond. That's awesome. And you got like these skyscrapers as kind of borrowed scenery, you know? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. The juxtaposition between yep. the calm nature and the skyscrapers in the background. And this garden dates back to 1620. That's so awesome. A lot of history there. 400-year-old garden. So from this garden, if you walk west down the street, you're going to run into Hiroshima Castle. As we mentioned earlier, there was a castle built here originally at the end of the 1500s, but the current one is a reconstruction from 1958 after the bomb was dropped. It is kind of amazing, though, that the original one, I think, lasted up until 1945. Yeah. It was one of the few that survived the Edo period and the Meiji Restoration without getting torn down. That is pretty crazy, yeah. But then we then we lost it. There could have been 13 original castles in Japan. Aren't there already 13, I thought? 12. 12? Okay. Yeah. It was 12 or 13. But I guess if it was 13, it would be unlucky, right? So, Not in Japan. Yeah. 
Anyway, this castle is beautiful. It's got these like dark wooden outer walls and white plaster kind of accents. And then it's surrounded by trees, including cherry trees. And then around all of that, there's a moat. And it's just, it's, it's beautiful. It looks really cool. Yeah. And it's an interesting castle because it's a flatland castle. That's Many true. Many castles in Japan were hilltop or mountaintop castles. Yeah. So it's kind of funny how it's just like plopped down in the middle of this big city. Like it's, you know, right across that moat are big buildings, modern buildings. Yeah. And of course, there's a museum inside. Yep. With some cool local stuff, but also some history of castles in general. I think it talked a bit about the construction. I think they usually do in the castles. Yeah. And then it's got the city overlook once you get to the top. You always got to get that nice view from the top of the castle. Definitely. I've never been in a castle and not had a nice view at the top. Yeah. I'm trying to remember now. I must have gone inside there because I have pictures from the outside when it's still light out. And then I have more pictures after the sun went down. And I'm pretty sure I was inside. It's probably like no pictures in the museum. Oh, that I think there were only a couple spots where they had signs that like pictures are okay right here. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I also don't remember getting pictures from the top either. Huh. Maybe I did and I just didn't edit them. Like they weren't my favorite pictures or something. Yeah. Anyway. Paul, do you know what's just across the street from the castle on the south side? Is that the art museum? Hiroshima Museum of Art. They have an impressive collection. The museum is divided about evenly between paintings from European artists and paintings from Japanese artists in the Western styles. Oh, the Japanese paintings are in Western style? Yes. Because it's all, I think it's all like impressionist for the most part, right? Mostly, yeah. But they have a few other examples. Okay. Because what I saw that caught my eye was all the French impressionist artists. Monet. That are represented there. Yeah, they have Monet, Cezanne, Gauguin, Matisse, and more. They also have a handful of Picasso paintings. Nice. That span his whole career. Like one from really early, then a few from the middle, and then one from really late. Awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I realized how uncultured I was researching this. They had this huge list of like all these famous painters, and I like recognized like four of the 10 names. Mm. I think the only reason I'm like relatively familiar with French Impressionism was uh, that I took a lot of French classes. You know, as you're learning the language, they teach you about the culture and all of those yeah, artists, yeah. of course. Okay. So that's cool. Yeah. Do you know Paul Gauguin? He, he shares your name. No. He lived in, I think, the Caribbean, Martinique. He did a lot of paintings of uh, that type of scenery, like tropical, really bright colors. Interesting stuff. Not what you would expect from a French artist. Okay. All right, Paul, you ready to, uh, to get a little, little depressed? I suppose it's time. It's got to happen eventually. So if you're going to head southwest from the museum and the castle, you're going to find the atomic bomb dome. So this building is crazy. Like when you walk up to it, you know, you're surrounded by a modern city and big tall buildings and everything's fine. And then you see this building that looks like it's about to fall down. Like it's all crumbled. Walls are kind of falling apart. There are bricks laying on the ground everywhere. That's the atomic bomb dome. This building was directly below 
the atomic bomb when it detonated, and it's been preserved in the same state since that day. It was actually the only structure left standing in the city because the force of the bomb went straight down on top of it instead of like sideways. So all the other buildings got pushed over basically from the side, but this one... You know, it's got those vertical walls that were more stable. The roof was kind of blown in. Yeah. But the walls are still standing. Yeah. Like not this big concrete building. Not all of the walls are still standing. You can still tell it was hit by yeah. a serious yeah. bomb. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's powerful, you know, just the first time you see it and you walk up to it and you just walk around it and it has little plaques that show what the city looked like before and after the bomb was dropped. And it's just it starts to sink in like, whoa, like that was right here. I could just imagine being there and standing next to that and thinking like, what did this to that building? Like, what would that do to me if it happened right now? Yeah. Like I'd be nothing. You'd be vaporized. Yeah. Yeah, I just like stood there and walked around it and just stared at it for like 10 minutes, just letting it sink in, you know? So if we continue on we're going to hit the peace memorial park right yep you cross a little bridge from the dome and you find yourself in this park and the park is pretty huge there's a lot of stuff in there relating to the bombing basically so before the bomb this was the heart of the city but they decided not to redevelop it and instead turned it into this memorial so the main attraction of the park is that hiroshima peace memorial museum It consists of two buildings. You can walk through the buildings. It's got all the history about Hiroshima and the effects of the bomb. And being that close to all these artifacts, it makes it more real than reading it like in a textbook, right? You see like a torn apart school uniform from like a little kid that went through this experience. And they have pictures and written accounts and... They have like these metal doors that are all warped and bent just to kind of show you how powerful this bomb was. I think I remember there's like a slab of concrete where somebody was sitting in front of it and you can see the outline of this person like imprinted on it. Oh my. And just so many little things like that. I heard described as the personal details make it quite upsetting. Yeah. It just makes it really real. You know, you think about like these were real people. And so many lives were affected by this. I mean, so many lives ended because of this. But then imagine like all of their friends and family. Just the impact is just kind of unimaginable. Another thing in the park is the Children's Peace Monument. So this commemorates Sadako Sasaki and all of the other child victims of the bombing. Uh, Maybe you've heard of Sadako. She was a girl who died from leukemia caused by the bomb. She was just a baby when the bomb went off, but she died at the age of 12, I want to say. And the story is really well known because of the over 1,000 origami cranes that she folded before she died. Yeah, I heard the story that she had a vision to create 1,000 cranes because tradition allows that if you fold 1,000 paper cranes you get one true wish granted. And her wish was a world without nuclear weapons. So she started folding cranes and made it to over a thousand before she passed away. Yeah. I remember reading her story in like elementary school. Did you? 
I think so, at least some point in my education. I remember hearing about her. Yeah, I remember they definitely taught us to make paper cranes, and I think we sent them to Hiroshima. Mm. Because at this memorial, so you'll see a statue of Sadako holding a wire origami crane. She's kind of like up in the air on the top of this tower sort of thing. And then around that monument, there are a bunch of glass boxes filled with thousands and thousands of paper cranes because they get sent there from all over the world. Like people just fold these long strings of cranes and then send them and they get stuck in these boxes for display. So it's kind of cool, like a symbol of uh, the support of the world for the idea of world peace and ending use of nuclear weapons. Thinking about kids in classrooms all over the world folding cranes and sending them there you know, with the hope that they don't have to experience any nuclear warfare in the world. Also, the funds for the monument were raised by Japanese school children, including Sadako's classmates. Hmm. If you want to hear more about Sadako and her story, we talked about her in uh, episode 35, which we did about origami. So you can check that out for more details. Another place you can find in the park is the Hiroshima National Peace Memorial Hall. This is another tough place to visit. I thought this was maybe even more upsetting than the actual museum, because it's all about sharing the stories from the survivors of the blast. People who lost their families and friends. I mean, even even not understanding Japanese, hearing people talk about this and even just hearing the emotion in their voices it's 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 rough i I just remember sitting in there it's just like a room where you sit and they're playing the audio people telling these stories and then they have the text in english so you can follow along and you know they're just other people sitting in the room crying listening and it's it's intense yeah in the park there's also a cenotaph for A-bomb victims. It's an arch tomb for those who died from the bomb, either from the initial blast or from the side effects afterwards. And below the arch is a chest holding a register of the names of the thousands of victims who perished. I remember seeing that. There's also just a lot of other little things in the park, many with peace in the name. They have what they call the Flame of Peace, which has been burning continuously since 1964, and they say it will remain lit until all nuclear bombs on the planet are destroyed. Sad to say, I think it's going to be burning for quite a while. Yeah, I was thinking I'd love to see that snuffed, but probably not in our lifetimes. There's a Bell of Peace that you're encouraged to ring. There's a Peace of Kanon statue. We've talked about Kanon, the benevolent bodhisattva. There's also an atomic bomb memorial burial ground. And I remember this very clearly because I just thought it was crazy that uh, this burial mound contains the ashes of about 70,000 victims. Oh, man. So just standing in front of that and imagining. Wow. You know. So you should visit if you go. I think it's important to face the dark things that people do to each other because how else are you going to stop that kind of stuff from happening again right i agree can't just pretend it doesn't exist or never happened
Okay, so after all the super depressing stuff, you're probably real hungry by now, right, Paul? Yeah, it's been a long day already. So let's head over to Okonomimura, which is just a little ways east from the park. As the name would suggest, you could find a lot of Okonomiyaki here. Yeah, it's just a several-story building full of Okonomiyaki restaurants. Paul, what's Okonomiyaki? Uh noodle pancake-ish thing? It's okonomiyaki. In Hiroshima, that's what it is. Yeah. Because Hiroshima has its own particular style of it, actually. I heard thin layer of batter, lots of noodles. Yeah. So there, there are multiple styles of okonomiyaki. The big two are Kansai or Osaka style, and then Hiroshima style. Hiroshima style includes those noodles. They're generally a lot taller because of all those noodles and all the stuff piled up. Osaka style is kind of more flat, more pancake-like, I think. Yeah. You, you would say than Hiroshima yeah. style. But okonomiyaki in general, I mean, the, the word means like whatever you want, basically, whatever you like. So you can throw in whatever you like. And on the menu, they'll have a bunch of different varieties. You can get seafood or meat or cheese. Cabbage is a pretty standard ingredient. Mm-hmm. Paul, have you had vegan okonomiyaki? No. They must make it. It's got to be available somewhere. It's got to. It's got to. I'll find it someday. Although egg is often in there. I, mean, I don't know. There's got to be a place that like tries to make vegan ones. Anyway. I just read today about how Tokyo is trying to up their vegan and vegetarian game at restaurants, trying huh. to raise awareness to cater to foreign tourists better. That's cool. Yeah. There's also something called Hiroshima-style tsukemen which is a cold noodle dish that's dipped into a red pepper sauce. That sounds really good. Yeah. And you get to pick your level of spiciness, like one to five. Nice. I don't think I've ever had skimmin, although I think they actually have it at the ramen place just down the street that opened up not too long ago. I mean, essentially, it's like ramen without broth, right? Yeah, that you like dip into a spicy chili sauce rather than have with a broth. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, that was all just Hiroshima. Yeah, but there's another major attraction right nearby that we also got to talk about because if you go to Hiroshima, you should probably visit this place too, and that is Miyajima. Also known as Itsukushima. Shrine Island? Yeah. Miyajima means Shrine Island. The official name of the island is Itsukushima, but nobody calls it that. Nah. So this is just southwest of Hiroshima. It's just off the coast, and it's it's extremely popular. How long did it take you to get there? Like an hour? I think less. 45 minutes Right around an hour, maybe. Okay. I don't know. You know what? Oh, man. I'm pretty sure it was on the train ride to get to the ferry to get to the island where I witnessed... The most disappointing thing. Really? Yeah. What happened? There was this guy. He sounded like he was probably from New Jersey or something. Actually, it was two guys, but there was one guy that was especially egregious. They were like talking super, super loudly and really like rudely. They were just yelling about like these girls at the club last night and all this, just the trashiest talk. I mean, Jersey boys, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't mean to disparage New Jersey, but these guys, it just reminded me of like Jersey Shore. You're living in the stereotype, huh? 
I mean, one, they're super loud, and you just, that's not what you do on Japanese trains, right? Right. And then the things that they were saying, like, yeah, I mean, you know, most of the people in Japan didn't understand what they were saying, but like, if they were talking like that in America... Not, not politely talking about those women, I assume. Right. And then they also had like fast food bags, and before they got off the train, they just like shoved them down between one of those fold-up seats, oh, you know? On. They just left their bags of trash oh, on the train. Oh, you should have called them out. And I was just like, you guys are like the worst possible representation of foreigners. You should have like chased them down and be like, excuse me, sir, shove it back in his chat. You, yeah. you left your food on the train. I really considered it. Like I was getting so heated, but they totally seemed like the types that would start a fight if anyone said anything. Yeah. Oh, man, but I was, anyway, anyway. Yeah, yeah, that is a disappointing story. Yeah. It just it makes foreigners look bad. And right, foreigners right. don't need that in Japan. Right. You're you like, know? That that's not me. I'm yeah. over here minding my own business, being yeah. polite. Anyway, okay. Miyajima, the magical island. Yeah, you take a train down to the port. There's a ferry that gets you over to the island. And that ferry is covered by the JR Pass, by the way. Nice. So this island... Like, I didn't really know what to expect. I'd heard about Miyajima, and it's famous for this floating Tori gate out in the water there. Yeah, you've probably all seen pictures of it. Yeah, it's a super, super famous site. But I didn't really have an idea of, like, what to expect on the island itself, right? It's mostly nature. Like, most of the island is just covered in forest and mountains. But the touristy part is kind of this little town sort of thing on like the coast right by the port where you arrive so around that area tons of interesting temples and shrines and there are cool little paths through the woods like hiking and that kind of thing just a bunch of deer casually walking around yeah they have friendly deer but the whole place is just really beautiful and like it feels special with all the religious temples and shrines around and like the old fashioned shops and everything, it just feels really cool. You know, earlier I said that I've got Hiroshima as the number three destination in all of Japan. Yeah. Miyajima, I think, is fully half of it. Yeah. It's yeah. Hiroshima being the big city and the history and the peace park. And then you've got Miyajima with the floating shrine gate and all of that stuff. Those two combined, I think, just create this amazing travel destination. Definitely. Yeah, Miyajima is really awesome. Uh, it's also very touristy, though. I ran into a, a guy that lived in Hiroshima at this tempura restaurant I went to, and he was telling me, like, he'd lived in Hiroshima his whole life, and he'd never been to Miyajima. Because <laughs> it's, you know, one of those touristy places that, like, the locals just don't really go to, but, yeah. but it's still awesome, and I recommend it for sure. Okay, so let's start with that famous floating Tory gate, right? Yeah. Not actually floating, of course. Depends on where the tide is, I think. Yeah, when it's high tide, it looks like it's floating. When it's low tide, you can actually walk out to it, I believe. Yeah. I didn't do that. Although it was low tide when I was there, I don't think it was low enough that I could walk out. And it was under construct or like renovation anyway. Yeah. So that was a bummer. So you've got to come back with me sometime and we can see it. Definitely. Looking I like mean, it's floating. I did miss some things on Miyajima that I definitely. So that's go one back interesting for. note, though, too, is if you want to get that awesome picture of the floating Tori Gate, you got to time your trip with the tides. 
and make sure it's high tide when you go. Right. So that gate is a part of Itsukushima Shrine, which is really cool, even besides just, you know, the gate. The gate is just one element of the shrine. And the rest of the shrine is also built over the water. Uh, When I was there, I saw some Shinto priests doing a ceremony. That was pretty cool. They were like marching down the, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a cloister, maybe. They got kind of these hallways. Yeah, the walkways between buildings. Yeah. And then they did this little thing. I have a video. I can post it on Instagram. Nice. I'll have to remember to do that. And so this shrine, as I said, Itsukushima Shrine, the island itself is called Itsukushima. You get the sense that this is a super important shrine and a symbol of the island, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's why they call it Miyajima even. It means Shrine Island. They're talking about this shrine. I'd say that tour gate specifically is one of the main images of Japan. Agreed. Yeah. They even have a no theater stage there. Huh. I wonder. I think I know what you're talking about, but it's just kind of a flat area when there's not anything happening there. Right, right. (laughs) So the shrine closes at sunset, but they illuminate the Tori Gate until 11 o'clock every night. So if you're staying late and staying at a ryokan to enjoy the evening on the island, you can get really cool views of like a glowing floating gate. You can also take little boat rides that go kind of out around the gate as well. That sounds awesome. Yeah. We should spend a night there. We absolutely should. So I guess we keep walking from here and see what else we can find. Yeah. Right nearby is another shrine called Toyokuni Shrine. This is dedicated to Toyotomi Hideyoshi, one of the three great unifiers of Japan. Its most noticeable feature, I think, is this very impressive five-story pagoda that rises up above the town. Like, you'll see it from all directions. I remember, actually, I was, like, walking into kind of the uh, main shopping street from there, and a guy came up to me and asked me, like, how do I get to that shrine? Did you just come from there? Like, because yeah. it is kind of, there are all these windy little paths and stuff, but yeah. I was trying to find pictures of the shrine and the first hundred some results were all pictures of the pagoda. Yeah. I could hardly find a picture of anything else. Well, it is kind of the main thing to see. The pagoda was originally built in 1407, but was reconstructed in 1533 but that's still pretty old, and I'm yeah. pretty sure that's still the one that's standing today. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. So these shrines are kind of at the south end of this big area with a bunch of shops and restaurants. You know, like I said, most of the island is nature, but this is kind of the most, the busiest part. You're going to see the most people and a lot of like gift shops. Great place for souvenirs if you want to bring back a bunch of stuff. I was thinking about getting a sake set there. Ooh kind of wish i had but you only got so much room yeah oh and the ferry when that drops you off you're kind of at the north end of the shopping area so yeah you kind of like walk down south past the shops and the shrines and then there's a bunch more interesting stuff just south of all that did you have time to go to the history and folklore museum i did how was it it was great and it was not busy at all weirdly like around those shops and all that stuff i just talked about that's like the only part of the island where i saw a ton of people but south of that it was surprisingly empty oh okay yeah you know i guess most people stick around like the extremely touristy stuff 
that's how I've noticed it too. And then you get a little bit deeper in and it starts thinning out pretty quick. Yeah. By the time you're climbing the mountain, there's probably hardly anyone around. A lot of people do go up that mountain though. I wasn't able to go up because it was too busy over there. Ah. And I don't know, maybe it was just the time of day. I was there kind of early at this part of town. So maybe it gets busier, but yeah, the Miyajima History and Folklore Museum, so much information there. Like you could spend a lot of time just reading all the little signs and everything. It seemed like it tried to tell the story of the people's lives that live and lived on the island in the past. Yes, they have a bunch of artifacts and tools from hundreds of years ago. They have art relating to the shrine and like all these these stories about like the history of the shrine and stuff. And then if that wasn't good enough, the museum itself is built in an old merchant's house from 160 plus years ago. Yeah, a merchant family that made soy sauce. Part of the museum is their residence and then they also have the storehouse. And in the middle, there's a courtyard with a Japanese garden. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That was one of those places where you had to take your shoes off and they had like tatami mats inside and it's all like, you know, traditional and yeah. you can kind of stand on the edge of the garden and look out over it. Yeah. Pretty cool. That sounds nice. So south from that area, you're kind of heading a little more inland, as I recall at this point, you're going to find a temple called Daishoin which has a pretty big and impressive complex. Like I remember walking up and seeing all these buildings and spending a lot of time like just exploring these little paths and stuff and thinking, I'm still in Daishoin? Like all of this is this one temple? Wow. Because it feels like a bunch of temples because there's so many buildings. And it's kind of higher up, so you're getting views of the area that you probably already just passed through. And I mean, I was there in fall too. So with the fall colors and the pagoda rising up and all the temple and shrine buildings, it was amazing. Like these are some great views. And then the higher you get, the more you see like the sea there too, you know, between the island and the mainland. Yeah. Beautiful place. Yeah. It's supposed to be right at the base of the mountain, right? Before it starts getting steep. Right. Did you see the wheels on the path leading up to the temple? I did. So I think it's actually inside the complex. Like it's not leading. Okay, it's like on the walking path in the complex. Yeah, I forget exactly what building it's leading up to. There are so many buildings, but there are these stairs, and along the middle of the stairs, there's a row of these spinning metal cylinders that have sutras written on them. These are like Buddhist scriptures, and they're written real small, so they all fit on there. And (laughs) go ahead, Paul. I'm sure you read the fun thing about them. Yeah, so when you spin them, it's the same as reading the sutras. So without being able to read Japanese, if you walk and you spin them as you go, you get the same benefits as if you were chanting the sutras. Yeah. I remember seeing people spinning them, and I didn't know what it was about at the time. So I didn't get the benefit. I had the chance getting closer to enlightenment, and I messed up. Oh, good, good. Another reason to come with me when I go to Hiroshima. <laughs> yeah. But I saw a lot of other cool stuff there. They got statues. They got a tea room. They got a cave. I love when temples oh, have caves. yeah. So from Daishoin, like I said, that's kind of at the base of Mount Misen, right? Yep. The mountain there. A real popular mountain everybody wants to get to the top of. So there's a hiking trail 
from Daishoin, it leads to the summit, and there are more temple buildings up there. Like I said, I didn't have time to get to the top of this mountain. There's so many things in Miyajima to see, and I spent like a whole day there, but I ran out of time. But I've seen pictures from the top. They look amazing. The climb takes about an hour and a half, two hours. And the reason this mountain is important is it's the highest mountain on the island at 500 meters above sea level. There are actually three hiking paths to get to the top, but the one from Daishoin, the temple, is the best one to take. It's supposed to have the best views, and it's not as steep as the others. Yeah, that's what I heard too. There's also a ropeway that can save you some time getting up or down the mountain. The ropeway takes you up to Shishiwa Observatory, but even from there, you actually still have to hike another kilometer to get to the peak of the mountain. And I got to recommend, if you're going to take this ropeway, you got to plan ahead. Because originally my plan, like I knew I wasn't going to have a ton of time, not enough time to hike all the way up. So I was planning to take that ropeway. But even the ropeway was so busy. I think they had like a website where you had to reserve it. It was so busy that you had to pick a time Yeah. And like they were all sold out by the time I realized that was how it worked. All right. We're walking, I guess. Yeah. Or planning ahead better than I did. (laughs) You mentioned there were some temple buildings on the mountain. The one I found the most interesting was the Reikado, the Hall of the Spiritual Flame. It protects a flame which is said to have been lit by Kobo Daishi. No way. Yeah when he first began worshiping at the mountain. That guy has been everywhere. We've talked about him so many times. And even better, that's the flame that they use to light the flame of peace in Hiroshima Peace Park. Whoa, I did not know that. Yeah. That's crazy. That guy, man. (laughs) Got around. For real. Okay, so let's say we went to the top. Let's say we hiked to the top. Maybe take the ropeway down, right? Uh, Maybe vice versa would make a little yeah, more sure, sense. Sure. I don't know. But either way, if you get down to the bottom of the ropeway, you can get down into Momijidani Park. And this park is awesome. Again, I said I was in there in, in the fall. And so Momiji the Park is named after Momiji, which are Japanese maple trees. And the leaves of these maple trees are much smaller than like maple trees that we have here in America. And they get this intensely bright red in the fall. And there's so many of these trees in the park. I mean, (laughs) this was like the first time I'd ever been to a park that was just packed with people. Like I'd never seen a park this busy because everybody wants to see these trees. Everybody's pointing their cameras up at the sky or, you know, at the trees, getting pictures of all the red leaves. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. The maple trees are actually also the inspiration for another local specialty, which is momiji manju. You hear about these, Paul? Yeah, and I really want to try them. They're pretty good. So they're cakes baked in the shape of a maple leaf filled with a sweet red bean paste. Yep. I had one of these at a little restaurant along with matcha. It's the perfect accompaniment. Great combo. Yeah. These things were first created in Miyajima in the early 1900s. And these days you can actually get them with different types of filling too. It's not just red bean paste. Although the one I had was the red bean paste. 
And you don't even need to go to Miyajima to get them anymore. You, they sell them around Hiroshima. I think I even saw them at Hiroshima Station. Like I their bet, shops yeah. They're probably in the them. train station as souvenirs and stuff. Yeah, definitely. And again, in this park, this is a great place to find those friendly deer that Paul mentioned. But you don't want to feed them here like you do in Nara. Right. You're not supposed to feed them, but they're used to being around people. So you can walk up and they'll let you pet them and everything. And then from Momijidani Park, you can easily walk back into town. You pop out right by that main shrine, Itsukushima Shrine, that we talked about at the beginning. Now we're heading to our Ryokan, getting our meal for the night, and heading to bed, right? Maybe stop by the, uh, the Shiba Cafe. Ooh, that sounds good. I remember right before I left the island, I was sitting there like, uh, you know, I'm pretty tired. Do I want to do anything else before I get on the ferry? And right by the ferry port, there was a little Shiba cafe. It might even have been a uh, Mame Shiba cafe. Mame Shiba are those bean-sized Shiba, like the mini Shibas. Okay. And I really, I was having an internal battle trying to decide if I should go in there, and I I didn't. They have like cute Shiba-looking food. No, it's a dog cafe. Like they actually had. Oh, they actually like have dogs to pet. Yes. Okay, okay. I was thinking it's like a cute cafe where they like drew latte art. That would be cool too. Wow, but that's dope. Yeah. Yeah, a great yeah. way to end the day. Yep. So now you know you definitely have to go to Hiroshima. So how do you get there? Well, we talked about taking the bullet train. Yeah. That kind of makes the most sense, probably. It's about a four and a half hour Shinkansen from Tokyo, but only hour and a half, two hours from Osaka. So very reachable. Uh, I mean, the Shinkansen goes straight to Hiroshima Station, and then from the station, most of those attractions, like in the city that we talked about, are walkable. If you want to get to Miyajima, like we said, you'd take the train and then the ferry. But within the city, it's really easy to get around. And if you don't want to walk all that far, they have a tram and a couple local train lines that can get you around. I remember the first time I was there, I just went to the station. From there, I took a tram over to the Peace Park and then back and then yeah. left. So Hiroshima has Japan's biggest tram network. They have eight different tram lines. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. They also have local buses and taxis. And they have sightseeing loop buses. I saw that too. And the one in Kagoshima was great. Yeah. I'm kind of like in on sightseeing loop buses now. Yeah. It seems like a lot of cities have those. And this one is even covered by the JR Pass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or if you don't have the JR Pass, you can get a day pass for the sightseeing loop bus for only 400 yen. You don't even need to go somewhere special to get those. You can buy that pass on the bus. You get a daily tram pass as well. Nice. There's also an airport, but it's about 50 minutes out of the city center. So unless you're flying from uh, like Hokkaido or something, it maybe makes more sense to take the train. Yeah, yeah. A couple other options for Miyajima I just wanted to mention. Like I said, that ferry is covered by the JR Pass. So if you have that, you want to take the train from Hiroshima Station to Miyajima Gucci Station, and then it's just like a 10-minute ferry ride to get to the island. That whole trip is covered by the JR Pass. If you don't have the JR Pass, that's still probably the best way to get there, but your other option is you can take a ferry directly from the Peace Park 
to get to Miyajima, but it's significantly more expensive and it takes about 45 minutes. So, you know, not the best option maybe unless you just really want a straight shot from the Peace Park to the island, like if you're already there and that just fits into your plans or whatever. Well, you got to have enough time on the ferry to like eat the hot dog you buy, right? Hot dog? The ferry in uh, Kagoshima sold food. So may, maybe these dogs? ones do too. It's, I think it was that type of food, but I didn't buy anything. I can't say anything about that ferry. That's not the ferry that I rode. So Okay. The other ferry, I remember very little about that ferry ride. It was only 10 minutes long, yeah, so I yeah, doubt that they sold much stuff That's there. nothing. Anyway, got anything else, Paul? That's all I got on Hiroshima. All right. Well, it's a great city. You should visit. I'm going to mention the Discord and the Patreon again. Check out the show notes for links to those. And if you want to find some travel tools, things to help you out if you're planning a trip to Japan, check out our website, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Paul, what are we talking about next time? And I honestly don't even remember, so I'm, I'm interested to hear what you're about to say. On our next episode, we're going to be diving into the hiking trails of Japan. Whoa, that's going to be a good one, I think. There's so many like crazy pilgrimage routes and like just beautiful places to hike through. We did the Nakasendo, or at least a, a part yep. of it. I'm sure we're going to talk about that a bit. Yeah. That'll be I'm, a good one. I'm looking forward to diving in that. I mean, For we sure. just did the amazing hike at Shuzenji. Yeah, I definitely want to do a lot more hiking in Japan and camping. I've been watching Yuru yeah, Camp lately yeah. and it's just... <laughs> That show is just so good at like inspiring you to want to camp, especially in Japan. You know, it occurred to me that campsites in Japan are kind of set up differently than in the U.S., it seems like. Like here, at least the places I am used to camping, you get like your own little clearing in the woods, right? Yeah, you get a fire pit and a picnic table maybe and like a place to put your tent. Yeah, but I get the sense that in Japan, a lot more of the camping spots are in places that are specifically set up to give you a good view of something, like of Mount Fuji or a lake or... It's just kind of like, like a that. big field and you can just go set up your tent wherever you want. Yeah, a lot of places like that. That's cool. But in the anime, they talk about different types of campgrounds. You know, They got the lakeside ones, they got the ones by rivers, they got the ones up on top of hills and mountains and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Was that... Uh, is this one of your good ideas or was this a listener suggestion i believe this was a josh spiro suggestion ah thanks josh yeah thank you josh and i think we have another shout out to do before we end the episode as well gotta shout out our patron nicholas nicholas mckibben the man i don't i can't say his name without you know sounding I, like every a, single a wrestler. time McKibben, you turn into nicholas like a announcer voice like yeah. he's uh he's the next wrestler coming out in <laughs> right. wwe I don't know. I just can't help myself. Uh, that's cool. His name's cool. Yeah. Thank you, Nicholas. And thank you, everyone else, for listening. We'll see you next time.